Coming up in this podcast, Nev Power leaves FMG, safe harbour legislation, women on WA boards, stamp duty setback and labour markets. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Powell and Mark Byer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Mark, this sounds like a fairly heavy set of subjects. Let's kick off with news late this week that Nev Power plans to step down in February. What do we know? Yeah, so Friday morning, Fortescue Metals Group came out with the announcement. Nev Power has been managing director there for seven years and presided over a very significant period for the company uh, to the point where the collapse in iron ore prices almost led to their demise, but he's since led a quite spectacular revival in their fortunes. So Fortescue is going along extremely well at the moment, and Nev is planning to step down at a a time of great strength. He'll be retiring in February next year, uh, as I say, after seven years. And it's also worth reflecting back, he stepped into that role after Andrew Forrest became chairman. So that was a major undertaking. Andrew Forrest is a larger-than-life character, founded the business, um, but Nev's done a great job. Now a lot of speculation about who might come next. Mm. And the obvious internal candidate is Greg Lilliman. Uh, Greg had been at Rio Tinto for many years, uh, joined Fortescue in January as director operations. Uh, The company is playing a straight bat at the moment. They're going to evaluate internal and external candidates, as you'd expect. But if you'd uh, have to suggest who's the most likely successor... Greg Lilliman would be the man. And, of course, Andrew Forrest is still hovering there. Like, he's not, he hasn't gone away, has he? Well, he still owns one-third of the company, still chairman. Uh, so for the, the really big strategic decisions, Andrew is a, a very large presence on the board. And I think, I mean, I look at that moment when Nev Power took over. It, you know, many businesses struggle with this entrepreneurial leader that's the founder, they've got it going, they've got it set up. And quite often that, that entrepreneurial leader can lead it to failure. It's quite a big decision to step off that day-to-day operational control and hand it over to someone else whose role is completely different. And obviously Nev's done a wonderful job. I mean, the, the, the story speaks for itself. Uh, as a business builder, but at a, different, at a different pace and in a completely different stage. So it'll be interesting as to what the next person's role will be. It's a more of a consolidation, isn't it? It's not so much an expansion and and building story as a keep it keep it uh, stable and consolidate what they've got, I imagine. And, you know, I think one of the special things about Fortescue Metals Group is that while they've become a very large um, and I think now well-established producer in the iron ore industry, they've still retained a lot of the culture that brought them that success. You know, this audacious sort of approach that they take, these extremely ambitious goals that they set, where people would say, that can't be done. Well, Andrew Forrest never accepted that. Nev Power never accepted that. So the amount of costs that they've brought out of the business, um, and even you know, reflecting back the fact that they exist at all. So, yeah, they're a, they've got a unique culture, I believe. Mm. Um, so it's still a bit of a the freshness of a startup with the now the balance sheet strength 
I mean, the scale of an established producer. Yeah, and uh, Nev wasn't the only one. We had uh, in the last week or so, Deirdre Wilmot also uh, announced, stepped down. I don't know. I'm not suggesting there's a changing of the guard in WA business, but uh, anything to add in that respect? Yeah, yeah. look, that was another, um, once again, um, it hadn't, we hadn't really seen that coming. Uh, but Deirdre's been at the Chamber of Commerce and Industry for several years now, um, initially in a, a sort of a secondary role before becoming Chief Executive. So her plan is to focus on being a non-executive director. She's uh, recently joined the board of Australia Post. That was only two or three months ago and clearly sees time for a, a new challenge for herself and, uh, and something different. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it's been a pretty rough period for CCI. I think she joined it, I imagined, I always thought with a kind of a political ambition of using it as a bit of a platform. That might not be the case, but it seemed that way. But more recently, and in fact, I think in our paper, she stated she she didn't have any further political ambitions, um, and yet it's been a tough tough for CCI. They've they've seen their revenue streams really hit in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I don't think people appreciate just the nature of CCI. It's it's best known for its advocacy role, uh, and yet it actually runs a very large business in its own right, or multiple businesses. Um, in, in training and all sorts of other services. So they've been hit by the slowdown in Western Australia, just like most of their members have been hit. Yeah, well, we'll see how they go. And uh, again, there's another interesting role to be uh, to be filled. Now, Mark, safe harbour reforms that deliver uh, greater protection for directors of um, you know companies that are in trouble have, or financially stressed companies, I think is how we word it, have passed through both houses of federal parliament. Um, Mark, what do you think that could have changed? That could that have changed some recent insolvency issues? We've seen companies like Briety and even Empire Oil and Gas sort of embroiled in some insolvency situations. Is this safe harbour changed the way those things might have been treated? Well, there are a lot of people I've spoken to in the marketplace who believe it will. It's a as a culture in Australia where if, if there's the businesses under financial stress. It goes into administration or receivership. And it's very rare to see a business come out of that. And that's very different from the US experience where the Chapter 11 rules are often used for a business that's going through a difficult patch. And many businesses come out of Chapter 11 in the US. Mm. And that's the aspiration. That's what we want to happen here. So the the, the basics of Safe Harbour is to say, if you're a company director, you're getting good advice you're being diligent about focusing on revival of the business, then you can keep on running it. Whereas now, if there's any risk of trading while insolvent, you know, directors are concerned about continuing. So I think Briety is a great example. You know, they'd had some troubles for quite a while. Um, you know, so hypothetically, you know, the, the directors could have maintained control of that business and potentially turned it around mm. if they had some more time. Uh, Empire Oil and Gas, it's a different scenario. That's where one of their uh, major lenders, Mineral Resources Limited, um, has appointed receivers to their major operating subsidiary. So there's other issues involved there, and so it might not have made a difference in that case. But, yeah, I think it's a a very significant development for directors of companies. And, look, I'm going to put you on the spot here, so you might not know the answer, but with the safe harbour legislation, is that to protect directors for actions they took or do they go and seek permission like 
Chapter 11 is effectively seeking permission from the courts to continue and give protection from creditors. There's no action that directors take to get permission under Safe Harbour, is there? Well, I think the, one of the crucial things is that they need to seek appropriate advice. Aha. Uh-huh. So okay. they're, not, they're not just sort of winging it themselves. Gotcha. So they go so, to an insolvency expert or something well, like that. Or a lawyer or an accountant gotcha. or some other recognised right. expert. So they recognise their moment of insolvency or the risk thereof and then start to state what they're going to do or how they're going to trade around that. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, thank you. Um, now, you've done some work on a perennial subject here, women on boards. Uh, we reached a milestone recently. Yeah. Uh, according to our research, the top 20 listed companies in Western Australia yeah. uh, reached a milestone during the month, albeit only for a day, but yeah. all 20 of them had a woman on their board for the first time ever. Okay. So very significant development. And so there's been a few companies, uh, Mineral Resources, we mentioned them just before, um, Austal, Perseus. Um, these are some of the companies that have appointed women to their boards um, just in the last month or so. And if we go back a few months, uh, Western Areas, um, Independence Group, uh, Resolute, so, yeah, there's been a, a flurry of substantial companies right. that have clearly seen this as a gap in their, their corporate governance structure and okay. have gone out. And one thing that I've found really encouraging is the quality of women who've come through. So you know, people like Deborah Backer, Perth person, had an international career in finance, worked in London and New York and so on, came back to Perth, and she's joined the Board of Independence Group. Um, Austell have had a really interesting appointment. Uh, Sarah Adam-Gedge, she works for um, Avanda, sorry, Avanade, which is part of Microsoft, XIBM, XPWC. So, you know, a national expert in sort of digital transformation. She's joined the Board of Austell. Sally Ann Lehman, she had a top job at Macquarie Bank, joined the Board of Perseus. So, you know, there's some really top-notch women out there um, who are enhancing uh, these boards. Um, The intriguing twist to this story is that Mineral Resources appointed a Chinese businesswoman, uh, Xi Zhi, I believe is the pronunciation. She, a few months ago, joined the board of Galaxy Resources. Um, Both of those companies are lithium producers. And the moment she joined the board of Mineral Resources, Galaxy asked for her resignation right. because of the conflict of interest. So she left the next day, is that right? Effectively, yes. <laughs> so as I say, it was a very short-lived achievement. So there's now one company out there that does not have a woman on their board. Right. But we were there for a moment in time. <laughs> no, well, it is. And, you know, and pretty much every name, every name you put there was uh, a mining company. And that's one of those issues that West Australia is a very heavy mining resources economy and typically there haven't been many women executives in that field and uh, so it's interesting to see that change and that boards are trying to go beyond the obvious you know a geologist and someone who's run a mining company to a broader skill set as much as there are now more women coming through with mining and resources in their background. Um, Mark, a Supreme Court ruling handed down this week casts doubt on how the state government has calculated stamp duty on mining company takeovers. 
Now, this sounds like a bit of a big problem for the for a state that's trying to get all the money it can. This doesn't sound good. Yeah, and look, there are tens of millions of dollars here, probably hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here. Uh, this has been an issue that we've been writing about for more than 10 or 12 years. Uh, the, the key issue here is that when there's a takeover of a mining company, one of their core assets is their land. Transfer of land is subject to, land, to stamp duty. Yeah. The great debate is, what's the value of the land? How significant is it? Now, the Commissioner of State Revenue has consistently argued that there is little, if any, goodwill in a mining company. Hence, pretty much all their assets are land. Therefore, you've got to pay stamp duty on all of them. The case that came before the court um, over the last week involved Barrick Gold and their takeover of Placer Dome. So this happened in 2006, hmm. 11 years ago, and they're still fighting about it. So they were two global companies, but there were some very substantial assets in Western Australia. Uh, they were hit with a stamp duty assessment of $54 million. And the company is saying, look, this just isn't right. You know, you can't say that all our assets are land and therefore dutiable. And the Supreme Court has agreed with the company, mm-hmm. contrary to what the State Administrative Tribunal had previously upheld. So this is seen by a lot of advisors around town as a, a really landmark decision, mm. um, and that could really shift the dial. Yeah, and, and when you say didn't agree it was all land, it's like a lot of it isn't land. A lot of it is goodwill. Is that right? It's a substantial proportion. Yes. Now, they are yet to, de- to, they are yet to determine what that proportion is, uh-huh. but they have acknowledged that it is a substantial figure. Right. And... But look, pretty much every major mining company takeover is affected by this. Uh, Independence Group came out a month or so ago with their annual results. They've been assessed for stamp duty of $52 million from their takeover of serious resources. So, and just think through all the other deals that have happened. Yeah, yeah. And famously, you know, going back, Alcoa was hit with a stamp duty bill of $150-odd million dollars due to one of their transactions many years ago. So big dollars at stake here. Yeah, look, it's a pretty fascinating one. As much as I, you know, want to be on the side of mining companies here, it's just I'm just trying to imagine, you know, goodwill I see in brands and all sorts of intangibles like that. Um, it's a hard thing to imagine that a mine's operations and how it's managed is actually part of the goodwill, especially when you're seeing, you know, invariably the company that's taking over is typically going to take over management. It isn't really going to continue with that management. Just an interesting thought. So, um, but look, you know, clearly the lawyers have made the case and the judges have heard. So who who am I to question it, I guess? And Um, look, I think it's fair to say this is an arguable point, which is why they're still arguing about this Barrick Gold case 11 yeah. years down the track. Yeah, no doubt. And no doubt this will be subject to appeal, so it might be, might be some time yet. Um, Mark, our special report this week is on the recruitment sector. Um, this is a, with a, a broader discussion around labour markets. Yeah, look, Katie MacDonald has gone out and spoken to uh, a lot of people 
and she's picked up some interesting feedback about you know, where we're headed in terms of our trends in the WA economy. We've spoken a number of times about the green shoots of recovery, about a pickup in labour demand. Uh, now, the latest labour force statistics did not bear this out, um, but if we put that aside for a moment, mm. what people are seeing on the ground is increased demand for skilled labour um, and across a broad range of industries. And the feedback Katie's been getting is that there's concern out there. People are worried about where the workers are going to come from in future. One of the issues they're pointing to is that during the downturn of recent years, apprenticeship and training programs have fallen away. Yeah. It's the same old pattern. Okay, it's, it repeats. Yeah, the cycle continues. So, you know, we haven't got enough people in training. Yeah. And then the other thing that's happened has been a real tightening up of skilled migration um, at both the state government level and particularly out of Canberra. So people that used to come in on 457s and the other visa programs, it's a lot harder to do that. I've been very surprised about the federal government's move there. I mean, it just seems really odd. They've tightened up and you're hearing it from all sorts of sectors, you know, chefs and can't get CEOs for companies and it just seems at odds with with what that um, visa is meant to do and I can understand you might want to tighten up parts of it but they seem to have overreached but anyway. And, and it's micromanagement as well. Yeah, right. This whole idea that you have these lists of, well, if, you're on, yeah, right. if you fit that category, you can come in. If you fit that category, you can't. It's old school, isn't it? You know, that's bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah, no, totally. All right, well, look forward to reading that, Mark. Um, business News now offers businesses and other organisations the ability to publicise their news directly through our trusted news platforms, the most business-focused of any local media outlet. The BN Announcements Service allows any organisation to share news such as deals, launches and appointments on our high traffic site and through our emails, providing a distribution platform and a permanent shareable record of their news. For a small one-off $249 fee, businesses can upload their own announcements or press releases to the Business News website, controlling the whole process until final approval by our staff. Have a look for that on our website or give us a call. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.